Good morning. My name is Melissa Shazer, and I'm one of the pastors here at CPC. It is wonderful to be with you this morning as we are wrapping up our Advent series. If you've been with us throughout Advent, you have noticed these large letters that we have had across our stage that say, King Jesus. We made them brighter and brighter each week as we looked at how Jesus is our king this season. Jesus is our king of hope, of love, of joy, our king of peace, our king of kings. And this week, we are celebrating that Jesus is our king of light. Now, the idea that Jesus is our king of light feels especially appropriate for a couple of reasons. The first is that we are walking into January and February in Minnesota can feel especially dark and especially cold. The days have been short and will continue to be pretty short. We will have a decent amount of darkness around us, and for some of us, this season can feel especially heavy. Um, So we will be asking today, where is our light? What is our hope and where is our light this season? The other reason why this seems especially appropriate is that uh, we are technically, according to the church calendar, out of Advent now. We still have the signs of it around us, but when Christmas happened, when we celebrated that Jesus came as a baby to us to be Emmanuel, God with us, we had our celebration. I don't know how your Christmas was. I hope it was wonderful. We had a lovely time celebrating with my family, and there was so much anticipation building into this day. We had a a feast, massive uh, dinner with both families. We opened a gazillion gifts, and now, after all of this, I can see the remnants of Christmas around me. As I was walking out to my garage this morning, I was stopped by two massive trash bags that are shoved full of wrapping paper because the recycling hasn't quite come yet. Remnants of these beautiful gifts that we have. Uh, Some would argue that our Christmas cookies need to be thrown out at this point. I disagree. (laughs) They're just fine. We're in a season that's kind of in between, though, knowing that our Christmas celebrations have largely happened and also still wanting to feel some of this light and this joy. And so what we are going to look at today is if if we're going to be taking down our Christmas lights and unraveling our trees and blowing out our Advent wreaths, where is our source of light now? And we're going to talk about how Jesus is our King of light eternally. This morning, we are going to be in the book of Revelation, which uh, is one that just isn't preached quite as often. And Revelation is a book that needs to be dealt with carefully. Uh, it is a beautiful text. It has amazing imagery, but, but it just needs to be uh, handled with care and wisdom and context. So this morning, we are going to be looking uh, at chapter 21 of Revelation. In total, there are 22 chapters, so as you can tell, we're coming in right at the end of the story. We're going to be looking at a vision that John, the writer of the book, has. Now, the first time that I read Revelation, I was 10 years old. Uh, I was following Jesus and knew that I should read scripture to draw closer to him, So late one night, I opened up Revelation casually. (laughs) 
started reading, within 10 minutes, I was running to my parents, basically in tears, saying, there's a beast and a dragon and a war and what is going on? (laughs) We are not going to be in those texts quite as much this morning, but that is just to say that I'm going to give a decent amount of context before we jump into this. Where John is at and what he's seeing is actually something that isn't new. We are going to be reading about a vision he has of a city that descends from heaven down to the earth. It's sometimes called a new Jerusalem or, or uh, a new heavens and a new earth. These are the titles given for the city. And as we look at what this vision is, uh, the beautiful thing is that, that John isn't the first one to come up with this. Throughout the Old Testament, over and over again, prophets see visions of this city too. Part of our our hope as Christians is that we will dwell one day in this city, and prophets like Isaiah and Ezekiel, over and over again, they saw this city too. What we're going to, to look at is what our final hope is, and if I'm being honest, I think it's pretty easy, uh, pretty easy for us as Christians to sometimes uh, limit what our hope truly is. I think it's easy for us to sometimes think that our hope as Christians, is that after we die, we get to go be with Christ. Now, this is a a true hope that we have, that uh, we know that after we pass into the next life, we do go to be with Christ. Uh, Jesus, while he was on the cross, looked at the the thief next to him who had professed his faith, and he said to him, today you will be with me in paradise. We are immediately with God when we die, and we know that, but... If the story stops there, we are missing out on the full hope that we have as Christians. Our full hope is in resurrection, in the recreation of this world and restoration of this world to what God originally wanted it to be. So with all of that context in mind, we are going to jump into Revelation 21 and look at what this city looks like the city that God is preparing for us. Revelation 21, verses 22 through 26, John sees the city and he says, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life." There's a lot going on here. So what we first read is that the Lamb and the Lord are the temple of the city, that there's no sun or moon because their glory is so bright that it lights up the entire city. We also read that people from all over the nations are drawn toward this light and into the city. We read that it is holy. There is no defilement or brokenness or death in this city. And that those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life will dwell there. Earlier in Revelation, in chapter 7, it says that those whose robes have been made white 
in the blood of the lamb. This means that those who believe that Jesus' sacrifice is enough, who, who submit to Jesus and follow him because his sacrifice covers their sins, we are the ones who will be entering into the city to dwell with Christ for all of eternity. What is our hope after the holidays? Where do we find our light? We have the hope of an eternal city that is filled with the light of Christ. Now, as I said, John, the writer of Revelation, didn't just come up with this on his own. This is uh, something that is attested over and over again in Scripture. The prophet Isaiah actually gives even more detail to what our day-to-day lives will look like in the city. So I want us to, to look at that really quickly, too. In Isaiah 65... We read, for behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, this new Jerusalem. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. That's this world, the former things. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping or the cry of distress. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Before they even call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb will graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. This is the city that we are promised The brokenness, the antagonism, the hurt that happens in this world will be gone in this new city. We will be living face-to-face, close with Christ. There are three things about this city that I want to ensure that we take away today. The first is that this is a physical place. The second is that it involves a body of people. And the third is that we will be dwelling in the presence of God. So this first point, this new Jerusalem, this new heavens and a new earth is a physical, tangible place. I think sometimes as people of faith, it can be kind of easy to to spiritualize everything, to make things sort of ephemeral and wispy. This is a physical city that will come down to the earth, a restored city. And we will be dwelling there as a resurrected people in this city. We learn that the city does not have a temple, which is an interesting thing. That's what John starts with. There's no temple in this city. In the ancient world, the temple was like God's home. It's where God lived. To be in relationship with him, you had to go and visit God in his home. So you would walk to the temple and you would do different things and pray different prayers in order to be in relationship with God. What this text is telling us is that there is no temple in the city because God's home isn't just in the temple. He's literally in the city with us. We are face to face with God. And so there's no more trekking over to see God because we are literally living alongside him. This is a city that is filled with splendor. As it talks about how there's no sun or moon, there's no no need for external lights because God's light shines throughout the city. And if I uh, am being really frank, 
When I think about the glory of the passage that we just read, this peacefulness and hope, the, the reconciliation and, and um, the heavenliness of this kingdom, it is actually kind of hard for me to fully picture what that is going to be like. Really, my life here, I, I see a lot of joy around me. We had a lovely Christmas. I love my family. I love serving here. There's a lot of goodness in this world. There's also a lot of brokenness. It can be hard for me to think of how that kingdom is going to be so much better than what this world is. And as I was wrestling with my ability to wrap my head around it, a story came to mind. About eight years ago, I was in Scotland with some friends. We were in Edinburgh, and we were walking around and looking at these beautiful castles and architecture and going into bookstores, and it was just a lovely, wonderful day. And then my friends told me that we were going to be going on an underground tour of ancient Scotland, of the old city. Couple issues. I'm a little claustrophobic, so I was uh, hesitant about this endeavor. And I was even more hesitant as we walked up to join our tour group, and I'm not kidding, the tour guides lifted up a square of the street from the ground, and there was a teeny tiny ladder that we were supposed to climb down to get into this ancient city. So I, I hesitated, but eventually I went down. They closed the street over us before they turned the lights on. I just had a lot of not great moments during this day. <laughs> but eventually, these are the images. This is from the actual tour. These are the images of, of what we were walking through. Overall, it was actually a very neat tour. We saw the mercantile that was in ancient Scotland where people would go to shop. We saw the jail and kind of prison area where people would be kept. There was a place where the neighborhoods and, and homes, you could see how they were set up. It was an interesting tour to see. But I have to tell you that in the back of my mind, the entire time, I couldn't stop thinking about what I knew was right above me. I had been having such a wonderful morning in this beautiful city and, and had been delighting in it. So to go underground to what used to be felt especially dim and especially dark. And the moment that I had the chance to climb back up that ladder to get into the city, I knew I wanted to be back there. I can't help but believe that once we are in the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth, the city to come, that we will have no interest in coming back into the darkness and the dimness and the brokenness of this world, and that perhaps even we will notice acutely, we would be able to notice the pain that is here because there, there is no pain, there is no suffering, and we're in the glory of God. This is a physical city. It also involves a body of people we read in this text that a, a whole body of people will be drawn into this place. What it's talking about is physical body resurrection. This is one of the core tenets of Christianity, is that just as Jesus was resurrected from the grave, we too will be resurrected one day. Just as Jesus walked around and showed his physical body to his disciples, that we will receive heavenly bodies one day. We actually just professed that when we read the Apostles' Creed after the baptisms. I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. That is a part of our essential beliefs and 
It is a huge part of the city that is to come. The other thing that just made me stop and think about this passage is that that it says that the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into the city. I had to stop when I read that because this city is so beautiful and so perfect that I just assumed that it was fixed, that God created it, and that everything that was supposed to be in it was already there. But what this tells us is that we actually can contribute to the city, that how we live now will matter in our world to come. And as I read that people were bringing things into the city, I couldn't help but ask myself, if we can bring things into it, what am I going to bring? What will I be able to bring into the city? Is it a physical good to make it more beautiful, or is it even a, a spiritual gift that we can bring into the city because we are going to be able to bring our best into it? And so what is it that, that you are cultivating? What is it that God is cultivating in you? Is it, is it an immense joy that can't be overcome? Is it a, a deep sense of patience? Is it peacemaking? Is it generosity? What is it that you are cultivating that you will be able to bring into the world to come? The last piece of this story is that we will be dwelling in the presence of God. Again, this idea that we are in the light of God and face to face with him was kind of hard for me to fully wrap my mind around because it seems so good. And so I was uh, digging into some scholars who have written about this, and there's one guy named Richard Balcom who teaches at the University of St. Andrews, also in Scotland. Very Scottish sermon this morning. Uh, but he wrote that God's presence as the one who lives forever and ever also means life in the fullest sense. Life beyond the reach of all that now threatens and contradicts life. Life which is eternal because it is immediately joined to its eternal source in God. All sorrow, suffering, and death are banished forever. This is a powerful idea that just as we are in the presence of God, we are joined to our eternal source of life. There's a line in the passage that says that, the, that there is no night there. The gates will never be shut, for there is no night there. And when I first read that, I thought to myself, that is beautiful. The idea that the gates are always open, so at any time, when someone's ready, they can go into the city, they can be joined uh, to their heavenly source. And as I kept reading and considering that idea, I just realized that as much as I want that to be what this passage means, what it actually means is that the gates are always open because there's no longer a threat. We're joined to our source of life in the city and there is no longer a threat outside. In the ancient world, the gates had to be closed at night especially because that's when cities were most likely to be attacked or ambushed. This text tells us that the city's gates never have to be closed because there isn't a nighttime. God's glory is shining brightly through it, and nothing, the powers that can take away our lives, our livelihoods, our peace, our sense of security, all of those things are gone. They are external, and they will not come in. There's no longer any threat or fear in this city. 
He is literally the light that surrounds us. As we are walking into a season that is especially dark and especially heavy for some of us, uh, I know uh, that, um, I, and I hope, that some of you have wonderful things to be looking forward to. We have babies that are going to be born, wonderful, joyful things. But for some of us, this can also be a somewhat hard season. And so as we are in the process of taking down our Christmas trees and unplugging the lights on our homes and even extinguishing our Advent candles, if this season is one where you are feeling the darkness, where the season starts to feel heavy, our hope is that we have Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus has come into the world as a baby to dwell with us and give us the light of Christ. But also, our final hope is not yet here. The light of Christ dwells with us and he will never leave us nor forsake us, but the truth is that sometimes in this world, the darkness can feel pretty powerful. Our hope is that the darkness will never overcome this light. This is our Christ candle. The light of Christ dwells with us, and sometimes it feels especially close. And my prayer is that you will feel the warmth and love and light of Christ this season. But if you don't, if it feels like a flame flickering from far off, and if you can't quite feel the warmth as as closely as you would like to, my prayer is that you would feel a deep sense of conviction and hope that this world is not our final home. This was never intended to be our final home, and one day we will dwell in a kingdom that is filled with the immense light of Christ. Amen. Our King Jesus is here. Our King Jesus is here, and he is not intending for us to have our hope in this world. He is not. Our hope is beyond this world where we will dwell one day with him. This can look like a few different things in our lives today. There are practical ways for us to live out the light of our King Jesus. So I have a few questions that I want to leave you all with today. The first one is that we are called to live in this world but not of this world. And if that is the case, how can you today make this world look a little bit more like the images the prophets have given us? The wiping of tears, the comforting of those who are mourning, bringing peace to broken relationships, and reconciling. How can you make the light of Christ shine brighter? The second question is, who in your life is feeling this season especially heavily? Uh, Because this season really does hit people differently. And and is there anyone in your life who's, who's in a darker season right now, or who's anticipating a darker season? Can you bring the light of Christ into their life in a new way? And lastly, for yourselves, in preparation as we walk into the coming months, how can you invite the light of Christ into your life? My prayer is that you feel the warmth of Christ shining in your life, but also that you know that this is not our final home. We will one day dwell in the face-to-face presence of Christ, and that is our final hope. Please pray with me. Jesus, 
We praise you for coming into this world and for being Emmanuel, God with us. You showed us while you were here what it means for us to live like your disciples, to follow you and to become more and more like you. And we pray, God, that your light would be shining deeply within us this season, that this world, while it is broken and while it is indeed dark, could shine brighter as we attempt to live out what you have called us to live. And Lord, that at the end of the day, our final hope would not be found here, but that we would know that one day we are going to dwell with you face to face. God, set our hope on you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.